have to admit this morning really quickly by way of, uh, it, it, well, I guess it's encouragement. It's an introduction to, you know, last night I was sitting really late talking with my wife about things, about life and stuff that's going on. And I'm going to say that last night, maybe when I was going to sleep, I was a little down about things. Uh, and, and I won't share those with you today about what those are. But the thing is, is that it is really, really hard for me to stay that way uh, when I sung the songs that I just got finished singing. Man, it is really, really hard. So my, okay, here we go. Kyle's crying again. Um, we're, we, we as fallen human beings, we're really stupid, aren't we? I mean, it's just true. And the pastor's going to tell you, I'll lead out in that procession. Hey, stupid parade, right? Last night, I was stupid. <laughs> this morning, I'm reminded how good and glorious our God is and how fickle my human heart is often. Praise be to Jesus that it's kept in his hands and I can't wiggle out, amen? This is good news. All right, we can go home now. No, we've got things to do this morning. This is Palm Sunday. And so this morning, it's a very, uh, it's something that we hear often. It's probably uh, preached every Palm Sunday, but I will be honest, I believe that it's going, to, uh, what's happening here is something that we need to be reminded for, uh, about often. This morning, I may not, I don't think, my wife said, stick to your notes, it's good, right? Which means, don't add anything. I can't promise that, I don't think I'm going to, Misty. But the one thing that I would uh, say to you this morning is there's no plan on really uh, pulling outside of the realm of the text and the Bible, stories, whatever that may be, jokes, whatever it may be. Listen, guys, listen. Uh, we have the word before us. So this morning, introduction over, we're getting right into it. Uh, I've broken down the text for us to step through it three in three uh, ways, okay? Number one, if you're taking notes, and they should be here on the, um, the slide as well. Number one, that this morning when we step into John 12, 12 through 16, with the, with the title of the sermon being, The King Has Come, we learn, number one, we see the sovereignty of Jesus. The sovereignty of Jesus. That is, that's, that's good because we looked at God's sovereignty last week from Ecclesiastes. The Old New Testament speaks forth the reality of the sovereignty of Jesus. Number two, we see the humility of Jesus. We'll see the humility of Jesus. And number three, we see a reason for worship and joy. A reason for worship, a reason for celebration, a reason for joy this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if you're with us today, you've wandered in here without one and you don't have a Bible, if you look on the back of a lot of the chairs that are in here, there are Bibles. Those are free. Take them and use them. We want you to have those. So please uh, grab one of those. So this morning, let's look at one first. The sovereignty of Jesus in light of John 12, 12 through 16. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, let us look at 12 and 13 together once again. And it says there, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Uh, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, what I want you to see first and foremost before we even start is uh, the, the first three uh, well, words in the, in the text. The next day. Now, what I want to do is give you context about what we're getting ready to see in light of what we see here in the first three uh, words, the next day. 
So this is happening, what Jesus is getting ready to do, coming into the city on, on this donkey that we see, and we, know, and we know it to be Palm Sunday, something happened the day before. What happened the day before is that Jesus was in Bethany, and he, he spoke forth to a man named Lazarus, Misty. I always say Lazarus with T-H. And she said that man never raised from the dead. But Lazarus did. And Lazarus came forth when Jesus, if you remember the picture, Jesus is there. He loved Lazarus, he, he, Lazarus and, he loved, and he loved the family. Oh, y'all hush up, all right? And it says that he, he, he called, it says that he, if you remember the, the shortest passage in the Bible, it's found here, what? Jesus what? He wept. Jesus wept. And, and he calls forth Lazarus from the grave. And as he comes forth to the grave, guys, I need you to know something. The, 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 the renown of Jesus, the, 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 the talk, the, the, the murmur, the chatter was beginning to go around. You're not going to believe what this man did yesterday. We saw it. The man was dead for three days, stinky, stinky dead, dead. And he came from the grave through Jesus Christ. His fame was coming. Jesus, listen, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem this day, this Palm Sunday, a famous man. However, Jesus also comes to Jerusalem, a wanted man. As not everyone was excited about the fame and popularity that Jesus Christ, he himself, was having. I want you to see, if you want to, you turn with me. It's a side. I don't even have it up on, my, on the screen. But in John 11, and that's just one page over in most of our Bibles, John 11, and I want to read 45 through 51 and then 57. So John 11, 45 through 51. And it says there, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him the day before. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, God forbid. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Hello, motive showing. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this, listen, 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 listen. listen. He did not say this on his own accord. <laughs> he did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Then verse 57 now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, meaning Jesus, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So they might arrest him. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, a famous man in the moment and a wanted man in the moment. And it is interesting to me that Jesus is coming with both of those enemies, because sometimes fame can go to head, right? And, and he comes to Jerusalem with fanfare, and at the same time he knows that people want to kill him, and yet Jesus comes, amen? He comes. And you can sense the nation and the tension in the air in Jerusalem that day. 
On, on one hand, uh, you, could, uh, you hear people say, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? Uh, could this be the man who would come and defeat Israel's enemies and make Israel great again? And yet on the other hand, there was a group who wanted to snatch him up and to deal with him accordingly. Now to get a better understanding of the tension, I want you to look with me the significance, the significance of this procession that Jesus is coming into uh, to Jerusalem on this day. I want you to look with me once again in verse 13. Verse 13, and it says, They, the next day, the large crowds, they came, they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, and then it says this, So they took branches of palm trees, branches of palm trees, and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, what I want you to know is really quickly about the palm branch thing, okay? It's actually really, really important. What I need you to know is that the palm branch wasn't a situation where children in the street and people were like, hey, what's available? The vendors for the, uh, you know, the, 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 the foam fingers isn't around. So let's just grab whatever we find. Oh, look, trees, palm branches. Let's use those. What I want you to know is this is not an accident. If you will, hit the, hit, the, hit the picture for me. What had happened in the nation of Israel, specifically in revolts that they had, is the palm branch became a symbol, a symbol of freedom. As Jesus is entering into the city and the palm branches are being flown, I need you to know something about the palm branch or, or the palm trees. The faithful of the holy city cut down branches and spread them over the road just as their ancestors had done over 150 years before when Simon Maccabeus finally completed the overthrow of Antiochus Epiphanes in Jewish history. This is where we get Hanukkah, brothers and sisters. This is where the menorah, let's light it, eight crazy nights, right? This is where it all comes because in that day, over 150 years prior, they were still under the occupation of the Rome. And the Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt, revolted against Rome, and they had one small smidgen of moment of success. Where they had driven out the oppressor, they had taken back all that was theirs, and it didn't last long, but in that time frame, guess what became a symbol of the rebellion? Victory. Might, power, freedom. Guess what it was? Palm branch. If you hit the, hit the, hit the other one, I, I like archaeology sometimes. It proves a whole lot of stuff in history. Look at the coins that were minted around this time frame. Notice something on them? What do you see? Palm trees. What I want you to know about the palm branch it is significant. The palm branch for the Jewish people, specifically in the days of Christ and before, were kind of like, I don't know, the Statue of Liberty for us it's like a bald eagle it's like the american flag and, and and so here we have before us and i want you to know something about antiochus he had been a particularly harsh ruler in jerusalem uh, this uh, ruler had forbidden the practice of the jewish faith on pains of death he had taken over the jerusalem temple and de dedicated it to the worship of zeus he even went so far as to desecrate the altar by sacrificing, you, maybe if you know history, what did he sacrifice all over the altars? Pigs. And the Maccabean revolt had small success, but they had success nonetheless, driving him out. Palm branch, we are victorious. 
You see, for the Jews, the palm branch had been a symbol of militant, powerful, and victorious Israel. But not only do they have a symbol for freedom in the Jewish world, but they also had a song, a battle cry, an anthem, so, so to speak. And it says that in our text that they raised palm branches in the air. Freedom. Militant Israel. Make it great again. But then they also sang a song. Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now the word Hosanna means save. It means save us now. Hosanna means deliver us. You put these two together and you're seeing a picture of what Israel desired for Jesus to come and be and come and do. And they had reason to celebrate in the streets because freedom was coming. Our mighty man is showing up. The right arm of the Messiah is coming to right all wrongs, earthly speaking. You see, Israel's view of Jesus is absolutely clear. They saw him as a military might and a potential strong arm against earthly oppressors. You know how we know this? Because sadly, even Jesus' disciples get it wrong often. If you remember the Olivet Discourse, this is in Matthew 16. Jesus looks over at Peter, and he says, Peter, son of Bar-Jonah, which means son of man, Jonah, man, Bar means son of, son of man, who do the people say that I am? Some say Jeremiah, some say Elisha, some say one of the prophets. Yes, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, this is not revealed to you by, by man, but by my Father who is in heaven. Then what happens? Then what happens in Matthew 6? Just one chapter or just a couple verses later, they're having the discourse, and Jesus is explaining to Peter what he must go do in Jerusalem. That he'll be arrested, that he'll be beaten, that he'll be, he'll, he must die. And what is Peter's response? Oh, not you, Jesus. No, this will not happen to you. Why? Because Peter's association, his understanding of the Messiah is one that can't be that weak. Not you, Jesus. Do you ever wonder why is it that they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and the night that he's being arrested Jesus speaks forth to the, to, to the ones who came to arrest him and says, come and do as you've come to do. And what does, I love him to death. By the way, I love him. What does Peter do? He pulls out, he's just, just hacking away. Why? Because you're not getting ready to take, I am one of his, I'm one of his captains. I'm one of his lieutenants. I'm one of his, we're, we're ushering the kingdom of God here. You're, he, you're not going to take him tonight. We will fight you. Poor old Peter. Poor old us. For the nation of Israel, if they only understood what was before them, and here is the question, why did Jesus allow this procession? Why would he let these people act like this on his account? Because I want you to know something about Jesus. In all of the Bible leading up to this point, when anyone wanted to go and make him king, or if anyone saw him do something absolutely spectacular, what did Jesus always do? He ran and hid. 
He escaped. He disappeared. He said to people, do not say anything to anyone. Why? On this occasion, in this triumphal entry, why is Jesus allowing everything to go down? And the answer to that question is obvious. We've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes together, right? What did we learn last week? That God knows what it is. Time it is, right? Jesus knows what time it is. And it is time for him to do what he come, came to fulfill to do. He knows the time. He looks at his own watch. He doesn't look at yours. And he says, yep, now's the moment. Jesus knows what time it is. Here Jesus was goading. Listen, he's goading the religious leaders and the Pharisees. He ran and hid before, but not now. Just after this, if you remember, if you know the accounts of what's going on around this time frame, Jesus is healing the lame in the temples this week. It's the beginning of Holy Week. And you remember what he does? I don't know if you know. Do you remember what he does right after he comes in on a donkey? He goes to the temple and says, uh-uh, I don't like all this. Flip, flip, flip. Cords, smack, Right? Jesus is like, who does, this, who does this man think he is? This gentle, this, Jesus is flipping over tables and saying, calling the temple his father's house. You've dinner of robbers, he says to them. He goes toe-to-toe with the religious leaders this week. He looks at them, and this is where we get the woes, the woes of the Pharisees, you scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And he does it in the presence of everyone. You don't do that. You don't do that. We say this, when Jesus walks up and takes hold of a donkey, as we'll see in a second, Jesus literally is taking a stick, and there's a hornet's nest over there, and Jesus sticks it in, and he goes, blah, 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 blah. What in the world? Well, brothers and sisters, as you saw as we started with this section, it's because, listen to me, Jesus Christ is sovereign. He is sovereign. Jesus is stirring up his own pot, making his own trouble. Why? Because his time has now come. Remember, as we saw last week, Jesus always knows what time it is, and he's sovereign over it all. While the people are in uproar seeking to make him king with their earthly desires, Jesus is acting as an actual sovereign, meaning the king, over the entire situation. Jesus, the week that we're getting ready to look at and next week come and celebrate the resurrection of our Christ. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. He was not some helpless bystander moping around going, oops, this is taking me by storm. He planned it and he ordained it and he orchestrated it all. No one stripped it out of his hand. He was always in control. Jesus was always at every point in control. And I like it that way. I like it that way. Jesus is running headfirst straight through it, orchestrating and carrying on the purposes of God. And yet, with all this commotion, this is what I love. Jesus not once allowed any of this to go to his head. Not once was he tempted to make the people's wants and their desires his path. The will of the Father meant so much more to Christ than the fickle whims and the desires of man. And let me say this. That has never changed. Amen? He is immutable. He changes not. 
Here Jesus in his fully God and fully fully flesh on that donkey comes riding in with a procession of let the king reign and Jesus says your kingdom your ideas not my kingdom or my ideas but Jesus people will love you a whole lot more if you just give them what they want Jesus says "Uh -uh, I'm giving them what not what they want but what they need praise be to God that he oftentimes doesn't get us what we want but he always gives us what we need number two Jesus is seen in this text in all humility. Look with me at 14 through 15. And it says there, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now let me tell you something about this donkey. You might be asking, what's the significance of a donkey? Well, see, the donkey signified peace and humility. The nation wanted a warrior on a mighty war horse. Yet Jesus was coming in humility, in gentleness, and in meekness. However, this donkey also represents prophetic significance. Other kings in the past had rode on the donkey. Solomon enters in on a procession on the back of a donkey. It's in our text, what's going on here is Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, which I think I have on the screen, uh, is the prophecy from the Old Testament that is being made reference to this morning in John 12. And in that prophecy, hundreds, thousands of years ago, before this, or uh, hundreds of years, it says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Listen. Your king is coming to you righteous, righteous, which means right standing before God, holy, good, and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey, I will cut off, now listen, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What I need you to understand is all through the text, Jesus comes on a donkey, humble and meek. He is still very much powerful. He is very much still in control. It says that he is righteous. But look with me in the text, at least Zechariah here. What do you notice about the gentle Jesus from verse 10? I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. Jesus... Jesus will not be coming for war. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He's cutting, what does it say? The the bow is broken. The the idea of the Jewish uh, people was that Jesus was going to come as a militant leader. Deliver us, save us, Hosanna, from the oppression of our enemies. Jesus says, it's not physical. I'm not breaking the bow. I'm not breaking the chariot in some, some earthly struggle, but Honestly, truthfully speaking, in the gospel of Almighty God, in Jesus Christ, Jesus comes and he actually literally breaks the bow. He breaks the chariot from us sinful men and women against a holy and righteous God. War is, a, war is established upon us in his holiness and righteousness and judgment. And Jesus comes and he makes a different type of war. He goes to fight on our behalf that we may be able to stand before God himself. That was the problem after Palm Sunday, of course. This was the problem, you know. Disappointment. The good citizens of Jerusalem were looking for a deliverer like the Maccabees had been so many years prior. 
They brought out their palms just as their ancestors had done. They wanted someone to lead them to the glorious victory over the hated legions of Rome. But they soon realized that such was not to be. For this deliverer was not like, he was, he was like none they had ever seen before. And the result, disappointment. Disappointment. And the disappointment moved them from Palm Sunday to Good Friday in the blink of an eye. This is how those blessed is he would soon become crucify him. For this reason, there is something nauseating, if we're really honest, about today. Something that makes us sick. As we might have hurled our own crucify him in relation to our unmet earthly expectations and our desires. You see, on Sunday, Jesus rejects the people's notion of his earthly kingship. And by Friday, the nation of Israel rejects him as Lord. Zechariah's prophecy was a beautiful love message from God. This will be the one who would come and truly save you. This is what the Messiah will look like and be. Sadly, they did not even see him when he is right there in front of them, riding on the donkey's colt, coming to be the king of his people. Now, question I have real quick before we move into to, to, to point three. Can this still happen today? You better believe it can still happen today. This is why we must know scripture, or else we, we like the nation of Israel, whether culturally or selfishly, may form a God in our own estimation and image and miss Christ altogether. Somehow, cultural understandings of what the Messiah would be crowded out the biblical understanding of what the, the Messiah would be and do. Hello, not, not, not 21st century Christianity. Can this happen today? Our traditional concepts of who God is, and we sell them wholesale. But brothers and sisters, this is why the word of God is absolutely so important. That's why it's a lamp unto our feet. It guides us. We must know Christ. How do you know Christ? Believe, listen, I don't want to get, Misty, I promise, I'm sorry, I won't get off too hard, okay? I'm going I'm to do this, and I'm going to come right back, okay? This is not my notes. I need you to know something. There is, a, there is a trend right now to say that the Old Testament is for back in the day, and the New Testament is now. Brothers and sisters, let me just say something really quietly and really humbly and really sweetly. The Old Testament points you to Jesus. The Old Testament is absolutely important. The Old Testament is for you today. The nation of Israel had an understanding of who he would be and what he would come to be, do. And somehow another cultural sensibilities crept in and took the place of biblical precision. When Herod, it's interesting, this whole kingship thing. When Herod asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, are you the king of the Jews? What does Jesus respond with? It is as you say. The funny thing is, is when he asked you, are, the, are you the king of the Jews? That's what people were saying. That he's the king of the Jews. This is your king. You came on a horse. I mean, you came on a, a donkey. You came walking into town. I heard the, the, the procession. People are excited. There's, there's rebellion in the air. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds, and brothers and sisters, this is why when you see Jesus after his arrest, he is beaten to a pulp with a sepulcher, uh, with, with, with uh, uh, whips, but he's given something in his right hand. What is it? Se sepulcher. Is that right? How you say it? 
scepter, scepter, scepter or sepulcher, both of them, um, uh, he has it in his right hand. He's given a crown of thorns and it's pressed into his head. Crown, sepulcher or scepter. He's given a robe drenched in his blood. He stands before the nation of Israel after he does, Herod does what he does, and he stands them before everyone. And you see the one who came on a donkey in a procession of, uh, of might and power and freedom and hosanna. And here he stands. He's, he's literally shaken under the weight of what he just endured. Here's, is this your king? A bloodied pulp of a man. Is this your king? Look at his robe. Look at his scepter. Look at his crown. The nation of Israel is given an opportunity. Yes, of course, it was, a, it was a different maybe group of people stirred up by the religious leaders, sure. But regardless, nonetheless, the nation of Israel was given an opportunity. Barabbas, or this man, and the nation of Israel looked at Jesus and said, Crucify him. This is not our king. This is not what we came to expect. This is an embarrassment to us all. Crucify him. He's not our king. If you remember, when they put Jesus on a cross, there was a placard that said what? Jesus, king of the what? Brothers and sisters, this was not them being nice to him. They were making fun of him. The Romans were making fun of him. And the nation of Israel applauded it and said, he is an embarrassment to us. If they only knew. If they only knew. Zechariah's prophecy is a beautiful picture. Listen, far from being a letdown, this picture of a sovereign and humble savior on this donkey is great news for us all and those in Jerusalem and even for us today. And I want to show you how and I want to show you why. Point number three, my final point. We see a reason for worship, celebration, and joy. In this picture of Jesus, in the lamb on a donkey in all humility, I want to show you, I want to, I want, I want to press upon you to please listen to me when I say this. There is good news in this picture. The weeping Jesus, a couple, a week before, riding on his little donkey is not the final image we have of Jesus, amen? It is not the final image. There will be a day when the people will get their king on his horse, coming in majesty and power. And listen, he will come in such a manner. And what will he come to do? To judge the world in righteousness, to fight against the Lord's foes. We see this in Revelation 19, 11 through 20. And I believe I have that on the screen. Look at this picture, guys. Hey, listen, the nation of Israel says, we want a king. We want him powerful. We want him, we want him on the war. Come on, give us what we want. Brothers and sisters, we all will have, the nation of Israel will have what they want. Listen to this. Then I saw heaven open and behold the white horse. No donkey, brothers and sisters, listen to me. No gentleness, no restraint. Eeyore had his moment. They will, there will be a white horse. 
The one sitting on it is called faithful, and his name is true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Diadems are jeweled crowns. He is sovereign. And his, I love this one, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. I don't, does anybody know what that name is? Nope, the Bible says you won't. I love Jesus. You can call me many things. I got a name none of y'all will ever know. And I'm not sharing it with you. This is a picture of the might and the majesty and the power and the splendor of the knowable unknowable. There's a name that you won't even know him by, but he knows it. I remember once when I read this text and I hear these things and I see this before us, I remember a well-meaning uh, older lady in a church many years ago. Uh, we were talking like Easter and, you know, this time of the year. And, and one of the things I think she came up to uh, and said was, uh, I just can't, she, well-meaning, beautiful, sweet, dear lady, we love, man, amazing woman of God. But, you know, the thing is, is she, hey, I can't wait for Jesus to return. I'm saying amen. She says, when I see him, I'm just going to hug him. And I'm going, ma'am. You don't want to hug that. Just step out of his way. You know, <laughs> no. It says that he will have fire from his eyes, a flaming sword, and his robe will be dipped in the blood of his enemies. He comes and makes war. No hugging. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? Jesus was coming to bring real peace with God and the penalty of sin in the flesh. And yet they wanted war. Not realizing that they in their sins were in fact the true enemies of God. They, the nation of Israel was the true enemy of God. If God were to come as the mighty king, as the warrior and the ruler that he is, then they in their sin would have fallen among those they had wished to see fallen. And it goes for all of us in this room. Do not forsake the weeping, humble Jesus. Do not overlook what he came to do on our behalf. Stand and cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, deliver us. Lift up your branch high and shout for joy, for a Messiah has come to deliver his people from the wrath of God, from sin, from hell, from Satan, from death, and yes, even from this world that the Jews wanted so desperately to see fixed this is not our home the nation of Israel was blinded by worldly means to worldly issues all for worldly purposes however Christ comes to us using spiritual means to spiritual issues for heavenly purposes this passage this morning uh, remind us that in spite of everything that might tend to douse our shouts, to zip our lips, to steal our zeal, in spite of everything, the news that we have is still good news. And we cannot, we should not, we must not keep silent about this news. The first word of man is during, during Holy Week that we see in our text this morning is Hosanna. The next word is given Friday, and crucify him. But the final word, as we will celebrate next Sunday, is he is risen. He is risen. 
Conclusion. Jesus was coming as our lamb. Our final and better sacrifice. The one in whom the Old Testament had been killing lambs and for the sins of the people to make consecration with God so that we could go to him in prayer, that we could go do this religious thing, go to the temple, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Jesus came as the humble, sinless lamb of God, gentle, meek, and lowly, and he takes the sinner's rebellious heart and the sin that separates him from God and he goes to the cross and he like a a lamb to its shears it says that he was what? Silent. Dare not miss this reality and truth. This is not a picture of a sniveling weak and frail Jesus. In all that is before us Jesus remained continually sovereign and in full control. Number two. This is not a picture of a Jesus which is moved by the fickle demands and the desires of the people. Remember, he is immutable, something that has never changed one bit even today. Number three, this is not a picture of a cruel, unsympathetic Christ. He steps down and takes the mantle of true humility. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. I am so absolutely grateful that God comes to us. Yes, God comes to us as a gentle, lowly lamb. Because if he came to us as the lion of the tribe of Judah in all his judgment, not one of us would ever stand. We want the warrior. Listen, you better want the lamb first because you don't in your sin want to stand before the warrior if the lamb has not been applied to you. Do you see that Palm Sunday is a really good day? And the fact that we have a weeping Jesus on a humble colt, I think it's pretty manly. I think it's pretty awesome. I don't believe it's weak at all. And Jesus is fully in control of every bit of it. Amen.